to Yo and Yo's podcast. We've had the privilege of advising Michigan businesses for over 95 years, and we want to share our knowledge with you, covering tax, accounting, technology, financial, and advisory topics relevant to you and your business. Yo and Yo's podcast is hosted by industry and subject matter experts, where we go beyond the beans. So if you want to stay in the know about business issues and trends that affect you, then keep listening because this is Everyday Business with Yo and Yo. Hello, I'm today's host, Jacob Sobchinski, principal at Yo and Yo, and welcome to Everyday Business. This will be a two-part series focused on blockchain and the tax effects. This first episode, we will discuss the basics of blockchain and the technology, specifically what it is, how it works, and what impact it will have on us. I'm very excited to introduce our guest, Rob Konsdorf. Rob is the co-founder and CEO of EOS Detroit, a blockchain services company based in Detroit, Michigan. His background is in computer science, software engineering, and has over 10 years of experience. He most recently worked for Duo Security in Ann Arbor before starting his own venture, EOS Detroit. Thank you for joining me, Rob. Thank you, Jacob. It's a pleasure to be here and an honor. I want to start today from the basic foundations of the blockchain technology. For me, I think the best way to describe it is this collection of people all working on the same database to ensure the information is accurate. But it's so much more than that. How do you describe blockchain, this technology, to somebody who's who's new to it? Yeah, that's a great point. And what you referred to, you know, this giant kind of collaboration is something we see on public blockchain networks, Bitcoin of which would be the biggest. To take a step back, you know, what is blockchain? Blockchain itself doesn't have to be a public network. It could be running on a single computer, but it's essentially a new type of database technology that allows us to have some properties that we can't really get with current databases. It's really good for transparency and creating audit trails because it's an immutable ledger that allows us to track how data changes over time. So in essence, it changes the way that we store data that we need to have a high integrity or a high level of visibility into how that data changes over time. With the public ledgers, this notion of decentralized ledger, can you explain that? Yeah, definitely. So the first blockchain networks that came to be were public blockchain networks and, and the largest and most exciting Um, if you talk to people in the industry, are the public blockchain networks, uh, the biggest of which are Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, and there's a number of other projects, you know, in the top 10 to 20 range value-wise, and a lot of other interesting public blockchain networks that actually are a little bit more under the radar that are essentially distributed networks. So they're people connecting their computers together globally, you know, on all continents, all across jurisdictions, it operates at the internet layer. So it doesn't necessarily get caught up by traditional controls or, uh, you know, bureaucracies. It's essentially data that's secured with cryptography that allows us to represent value. That's what Bitcoin is doing. Um, And that's really interesting because 
basically that network is really hard to change based on how it works. Blockchains like Bitcoin come down to something called a consensus algorithm. So all these people, this giant swarm of people working together have to have some way to agree on what happens next or how you know the process works or how the, the system itself works. So it is a software system that's open source so anyone can audit it. Anyone can look at the code, make sure it's not being fishy. And the people that are running it have to have a simple majority agree on what version of it to run for it to continue working. Because of that, we get these assurances that it's really hard to change like the monetary policy of Bitcoin, the emission of new cryptocurrency. Um, now, if you've seen, you know, what's happened, not to get political, because I don't like talking politics, but, you know, over 20% of all US dollars in circulation were printed this year. Did anyone see that coming? You know, <laughs> and there's a reason why central banks have that power, or, or, you know, the treasury or however that all of that works, it's complicated. But you know, what you get with Bitcoin are harder assurances, more mathematical assurances about how this store of value, this new asset class is going to be distributed. Well, and we've seen this, the value of, of Bitcoin for sure. I mean, here we're at the end of 2020 and the value of Bitcoin is back up to where it was, uh, what, two years ago, um, near, you know, nearing that 20,000 mark. So that store of value is really in fluctuation at that point. But beyond that, uh, beyond the value side of it, from a monetary standpoint, the technology behind this blockchain and this ledger system, can you explain the differences between, uh, for example, proof of stake uh, and other mechanisms by which the blockchain builds those layers? Yeah, definitely. So what you're referring to when you say proof of stake, that is one of the consensus algorithms, as mentioned earlier. The one that Bitcoin uses is called proof of work. And that's the mining process you hear about. Really what these consensus algorithms do are validate the network and include new transactions into the ledger and finalize them. That's what that process is. And because you know we want the system to keep running perpetually, there's an incentive to do that. And that's why mining has become a profitable business at scale. You know, if you're a consumer, you don't really want to get into that probably because you're not going to make much. It's very hard to scale, but we see a lot of successful businesses there. Our business is a similar bet on a different consensus algorithm. Ethereum 1.0 is their own version of proof of work that's different from Bitcoin's version of proof of work. The different networks have all kinds of different ways that they've been composed, different code bases. The idea of blockchain is fundamentally like theoretical and it's, it's a data structure almost. Um, but these different networks are composed of more components than just that. Anyways, not to get too technical, but Ethereum 1.0 is proof of work. There's a lot of talk right now about this Ethereum 2.0 launch, and that's proof of stake. So they're doing a migration because proof of stake, they believe their system will work and help the network scale. Proof of work is very expensive and slow. It's very reliable. If I kept going down this line of thought, <laughs> what you're seeing is there's design trade-offs. There's so, like, why, why are we building this network? For what purpose? And then which decisions do we make from fundamentals to 
you know, help achieve that goal. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really why these different consensus algorithms exist. We've seen a lot of growth in the technology, and you pointed it out at the beginning of our talk of the use and the resorption of this technology in private ledgers. Uh, where do you see the growth in that coming from it? And what does that look like for an industry or a business? That's a great question, Jacob. I like to think of it as a spectrum. So we've got public networks. There's this which concept is our, of- Which cons- is our cryptocurrencies, the- the Yep, the, the main values. ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the idea of a consortium network, which could be like an industry-wide network. So one of the examples I like, or thought experiments rather, because it's not it doesn't exist is- you know, what if all the auto suppliers in Detroit used a common layer, the OEMs all the way through the second and third tiers to manage logistics? Or, you know, would a blockchain be a good fit of that because you have all these different businesses who may even be competitors, but they all maybe could benefit from efficiency gains if they had a single shared standard to converge on? Um, that would be more of a consortium network, probably, where, you know, maybe the biggest companies like, GM, Chrysler, and Ford would have, you know, an equal amount of say in the governance. So they would have to come to compromises or do things that benefit them all. Because blockchains allow us to change this data integrity model to view, you know, you would be able to view funny business if some important data was being changed in that system. So basically, you know, that can't happen. Whereas if, let's say, just for example, nothing against Ford, but let's just say they controlled the system, they had full control over this supply chain network, well, they'd probably do little things that benefited them specifically at the expense of others. That's just how incentives and game theory works in business and nothing wrong with that. You know, the interesting part is how can we use these networks to align incentives to create controls around governance and decision-making processes to use this source of truth as well. So rather than trusting whatever report, you know, was opaquely generated from some banking system or some other, (laughs) uh, what what if, you know, the, the report could be generated based off a public database that anyone could regenerate and double check the validity of it. Yeah. A lot of little use cases like that with auditing that could be really advantageous. Yeah, we see a lot of talk about using it in supply chains. I think that's that's one of the, the best case scenarios. I know IBM's working on some projects with Walmart and some other uh, large players in the industry. There's been a lot of discussion about it using, using it as a, um, a ledger for accounting as well. I think that could have some huge impact into the publicly traded companies and their, their operations in the long oh, run. Oh, I bet. I bet. Um, what what do you what other uses do you see? I know EOS Detroit. You guys are working on a bunch of different projects. Anything specific out there that you can share on on how this technology is really going to be impacting us in the future? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So we're a bootstrap startup. So scarcity. You know, we're used to scarce scarce time, scarce resources. Having a bare bones team. You know, our team is about ten right now uh, in size. So. We're looking for, you know, where's the immediate trends that we can jump into and build. Uh, And I would say lower risk use cases, you know, rather than overhauling the entire global financial infrastructure, (laughs) that's going to take some time, maybe 10, 20 years. 
Well, I don't uh, for that to unfold if it happens and blockchain is a part of it, right? Square Cash, what Square Cash and PayPal both uh, have bought into some some Bitcoin and, and are buying all available coins. Um, right. Oh, yeah. Bitcoin, yeah. There's a so. lot of accumulation at institutional level right now. So it may all happen quicker. Um, but back back to the point. So yeah. the, the areas that I'm seeing potential in, the major area right now is actually virtual items. So think video game economies, digital collectibles. So there's this whole new trend in blockchain and, and cryptocurrency called non-fungible tokens or NFTs. And a non-fungible token is essentially just that. It's an object you can't divide. Where a Bitcoin, you can divide up to eight decimal places. You know, it's very divisible. And a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin. You know, my, my plus two shield over in this game is now this object that's actually a hard asset that I could transfer to my friend at the coffee shop or... I could actually resell later and cash out of that game later. So it's creating economies and more fluid movement of value in video game uh, worlds and also allowing collectible companies like Topps Baseball Cards. They launched Garbage Pail Kids on one of our networks called Wax that we help operate. And those are represented as NFTs and they're collectibles. So now... Tops can have digital products that are marketing to different demographics or, you know, different types of users. And the cool thing about these virtual items is they can move between games now. So you could have an item that actually could be represented in 10 different game worlds. So there's a ton of innovation there and at least one or two AAA video game titles. So the big, you know, huge budgets, millions and millions of dollar budgets to develop this game. Um, focusing on blockchain economies. So those will definitely be probably bellwethers in adoption there. And then I think it's good because it'll get, you know, there's a ton of gamers. It's a huge entertainment industry. If gamers can have a more equitable experience where they can actually make money off their gaming more readily, um, then, you know, maybe that's good. Maybe someone who spent a lot of time on video games can actually get something back out of it later when they're moving to the next phase of their life or it, it should be really interesting. And that's really where I've got us tapped into. So we're building out experiences. We're doing this one called Bitcoin origins right now with another team and we do all their tech. So people can purchase these collectibles. Um, they're typically sold as packs, just like baseball cards too. And then you can resell the pack on a secondary market. You can gift it to someone, you can open it. If you open it, then the, a random number generator will use randomness. So it's kind of like gambling in that sense. You know, there's a random rarity thing going on. And some of the things sell for a lot. I mean, I personally sold a card for over $3,000 uh, this year, a garbage pail kid card uh, through PayPal. And it was really crazy. Like no one really knew that was about to happen, but they just hit this. There's a product market you hit the random number there. Right. Yeah, really. I did. I did yeah. that one. I did randomly pull and then um, later on sold it. And it's it's a very interesting world right now. And being in blockchain, you know, as at least a, a pretty serious hobbyist since 2014, I'd say 
I haven't seen this product market fit yet until now. So it's yeah. very exciting. It's clear to me um, that there's this is going to grow. Rob, what other use cases do you see for for the technology? Uh, and we've touched yeah, on let's talk about some other ones. So one thing that's interesting, there's also voice.com, which some members of our team, you know, we're following it. We're in the beta. It's pretty small right now, but it's a fully identified social network. So the idea is to remove bots, which have been a big discussion nowadays. They do this process over the content called hashing. So if I take what you posted to a social network and I make a hash of it, the hash can't be reverse engineered to see the information again. But basically what the hash does, Bitcoin transactions in blockchain use hashes too, is it creates a one-way function which allows you to prove that you said something at a specific point in time. That's actually super important nowadays on social media because there's tons of uh, botting, misdirection, like you know, misinformation, whatever, you know, all kinds of different things going on in social right now. And the platforms themselves have perverse incentives. You know, Facebook, um, some people consider them evil. (laughs) Um, I won't go into that philosophical discussion right now, but um, so are there, are are these social markets active right now? Yeah. Voice.com is in bait in a closed beta, people can sign up and follow it and, and follow their progress. But I think it'll be really interesting because really what it'll come down to is, you know, creating better ways to verify um, if someone really said something. And there's another sort of dystopian futurist sort of thing going on with the whole deep fakes. I don't know if you've heard of those. Oh, of course. Um, but the, you know, if deep fakes get very sophisticated in the future and someone can make a video that sounds and looks like you, we're going to need things that like a blockchain based backbone that somehow attests that Jacob actually said this or didn't say this yeah, or sure. and for everybody at scale. It's not something we really need to deal with yet, but I think that this will be really important for social media in the future. What kind of limitations do you see blockchain has? You know, obviously, we've talked a lot about the things that it can do. What are kind of the limitations that you see with the blockchaining technology? You know, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. People do tend to overextend or over embellish the practicality of blockchains. Blockchain is a great foundation to build up on, but it's not a silver bullet. So there's a lot of decisions that need to be discussed and also governance layers on top of these that need to be formalized and discussed for like some of the use cases we talked about earlier. But at the end of the day, on the technical limitations side, you know, especially proof of work blockchains are very expensive and slow databases. We typically design our apps, not all of them, depending on how simple it is, but consumer facing apps. You know, you're not probably going to have the entire thing on a blockchain. There's still going to be some some traditional layers involved. That comes down to the cost and complexity of putting tons of data onto a blockchain. You kind of just want to put the essential data you need into it and integrate with it into your wider system. And maybe, you know, that's how I view it. I view it as very like it's one of the tools in our toolbox I'll even advise people that come to us for consultation on their startups as far as like building a proof of concept. 
Um, that's another thing that we've offered in the past. And I've had to tell people like, I don't, you don't need a blockchain for this. You shouldn't actually, it's, it's a distraction from what's really important for your business idea at this point in time. And, you know, there's nice to haves, but is it really critical at that point in the venture? You could probably imagine a lot of use cases for it, but it just depends. And at the end of the day, you know, there is some performance and cost trade-off because it's expensive to maintain a highly global decentralized network. So those, you know, those costs are baked into sort of the way the system works. In Bitcoin and Ethereum, you see that as transaction fees. If traffic's surging, the fees go up and it becomes really expensive. So Bitcoin's great at moving a lot of value, millions or, you know, even thousands, but moving, you know, you don't want to pay 30 cents. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 30 cents for a cup of coffee, 30 cents fee on top of your cup of coffee. And, and so from a transactional standpoint, I know too, you know, the number of transactions that Bitcoin can handle is, you know, small on a regular basis that then the visa system can handle, you know, from a traditional network. Going to the next step, is that a transition you see possible? One of these systems, one of these blockchains can really take over the market of monetary transactions and reduce the amount of fiat being transferred. Yeah, that's a great question. I do think it's possible. It's actually the reason that we've got behind the technology that we focus on, EOSIO. So EOSIO can approximate Visa and MasterCard network uh, transactions. Uh, we've benchmarked the EOS network at around 5,000 transactions per second. You know, when you're comparing that to what Bitcoin can process, it's, it's like very night and day. I think Bitcoin's like 15 transactions per second. Yeah, and benchmark that against Visa or MasterCard and their processing. It's not there yet, but it's pretty close getting mm -hmm. up there. So we can push the performance optimizations on EOSIO further, and it can also horizontally scale in the future. And that's the roadmap that the core maintainer of EOSIO is pushing for into the future. And they're actually working on enterprise adoption and talking to companies. I'm sure companies I'm not even aware of because I'm not an employee there, you know, confidential stuff. I think there's a lot going on behind the scenes as far as advising how to practically achieve that. And I feel like uh, the EOS IO tech stack from my position, I am a little biased. I do have EOS in my business's name, um, but Understood. It, 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 is, it is designed with consumer adoption in mind and the understanding that we need to be able to make the user experience that consumers eventually interact with these blockchain-based apps in the future need to feel very similar to what they're used to now with regular apps. And so totally. I totally that's why agree. we haven't seen adoption in 12 years. Bitcoin's been going on for 12 years as of October 31st. We haven't seen a mass adopted blockchain-based application outside of financial speculation and, you know, hedging and things like that, like an app where all the actions are on a blockchain. We haven't seen that. And that's because the performance bottlenecks and the onboarding bottlenecks, the security aspect. What, you know, we talked a little bit before this about the difference between a wallet and an exchange. An exchange custodies your funds. With a wallet, 
usually you self-custody your funds. That self-custody means that you need to know how to do that. And that involves making sure cryptographic key material doesn't get lost. So there's all of this other layer that comes in that has prevented, you know, it's complicated. It's definitely a barrier. Yeah, it's definitely a barrier for entry is that accessibility of it. You know, you talk about the secondary platforms where you're doing these, you know, non-fungible transactions or non-fungible items. That's a different because the, again, you're looking at it through the matrix of a, a program or a, an app or some other feature. So on that platform specifically, this is one of the reasons why we work so much with Wax. Uh, Wax.io is the, it, it's the worldwide asset exchange and they are a very experienced team, but They solved the onboarding issue up front before they attempted to get user adoption. So there's this thing called Wax Cloud Wallet. Anyone can sign up. You can sign up with your Google account, your Facebook account. It automatically creates a blockchain account for you and custodies your keys. And you can log in and use your blockchain account on blockchain applications. And you don't have to ever worry about your keys. Now... You're back to the traditional security model, right? Where right, some right. custodians got, you know, but that's fine for games and maybe, you know, the low value, the more high, Wax is more of a high value volume and low value network because there's, a, you know, millions of items being traded. And maybe some of those items are only worth like 10 cents. Others are worth 3000 So it just depends. But um, in general, you know, the, the fact of the matter is they understood that is a bottleneck. We won't be able to get consumer adoption or be able to make this palatable unless we make the onboarding frictionless. And then they solve that. And now when we build apps, we can drop their Wax Cloud Wallet into our app and anyone with that account can log in. So that's really beneficial. It's a huge advantage that Wax has, and I haven't seen anyone else solve it like them yet. Yeah, that's definitely an easier way to access the technology and from a user experience, a whole lot better than going out and figuring out how to get money onto an exchange or through a wallet and invite (laughs) Right. Um, Over the last 20 years, we've learned how to use computers and integrate them into our lives. So let's build on that and you know, meet people where they're at and not, oh, here's your keys. Don't lose them. And here's your backup phrase. It's 16 words. You got to write that down right now. And And store uh, (laughs) it and then store it somewhere physically, which is. uh, Yeah. Oh, and yeah, there's so many pitfalls. I saved it in a file and then I, you know, dropped my laptop or my phone in the toilet and now it's fried and my $10,000 in Bitcoin's gone. It's gone. Rob, in closing, um, any final thoughts into the the future of blockchain? Yeah, so the frontier we're seeing approach is very exciting. And I don't know what's going to happen, but, you know, regulations are going to clarify very soon. You know, there's been murmuring that, you know, Mnuchin is going to do something before he's out at the, the treasury level. There's clearly this movement for regulation, which, you know, if it's not, if it doesn't water down the innovation too much, will create the space for this all to go mainstream in a way that I think will benefit a lot of people. So that's very exciting to me. Um, I don't think, you know, it's avoidable. I think we're going to see some pragmatic future where 
things are regulated. That a lot of the dream and a lot of the early adopters of cryptocurrency, you know, are very ideal and want this to be like a nationless money forever and all of this. And it's like, well, it maybe still can be some sort of reserve for the global economy in some fashion, you know, or some outlet or risk off asset like Bitcoin specifically. Um, but anyways, it's very exciting to me to see that we're on the cusp of adoption. And I think we're going to see a lot of things happen quite quickly once that starts. And it's going to be um, hopefully for the benefit of all of society, you know, but it also with any technical paradigm shift will come with changes. So people Absolutely. will need to adapt. Um, but I'm hoping this is all for the best because, you know, there is a lot of things here that can allow us to build more integrity into important institutions and societal systems. Yeah, I definitely so if we're see able future, to build up to that. Definitely see the future of the trust and the transparency that blockchain brings to, to both of those aspects. So, Rob, I would thank you. Thank you very much for your insights on blockchain. You know, I'm, I'm very excited to see where this takes us in the future. Hey, if, you're welcome. Thank you. And if you're interested in learning more about blockchain and related impacts, visit yoandyo.com where you can find a copy of our show notes and additional resources. Uh, thank you to everyone who joined us today and look for part two of this series where we'll talk about some of the tax impacts of blockchain and cryptocurrencies. Thank you. Good day. for tuning in to Yo and Yo's Everyday Business Podcast. Yo and Yo's podcast can be listened to on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and of course, our website. Please subscribe, rate, and review. For more business insights, visit our resource center at yoandyo.com and be sure to subscribe to our newsletters. We'll talk to you next time on Yo and Yo's Everyday Business Podcast. The information provided in this podcast is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the podcast reflect the views of the speakers. This podcast does not constitute tax, accounting, legal, or other business advice or an advisor-client relationship. Before making any decision or taking action, you should consult with a professional regarding your specific circumstances.